Hello, welcome to the Take 15 podcast. I'm Lauren Foster, and this is the show where we bring you short conversations with some of the world's most interesting and accomplished people. Today, ESG investing. That's investing based on the belief that certain environmental, social, and governance factors are material to financial performance. My guest is Kathleen Bachman. She's a CFA charter holder and director of ESG at Loomis Sales and Company. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Kathleen Bachman, welcome. Thank you. I'd love to start our conversation with semantics. Uh, CFA Institute recently partnered with PRI to write a series of global reports on the state of ESG integration around the world. And one thing we found that there was still a lot of divergence of opinion on what ESG means. So how do you define ESG for your purposes? That's true. There's a broad range of definitions and really no standards. Uh, we think of ESG as a very broad umbrella encompassing many different factors under environmental issues, social issues, and corporate governance, which all can be very distinct and unrelated, or they can be correlated. But for us at Luma Sales, we think about ESG factors that are material to the investment process. So that can be defined differently depending what asset class we're looking at. And how about the term sustainable investing? I think sustainable or responsible investing is a term that's been used over the years to talk about a wide spectrum of different types of asset management. So it can be negative screening, it can be positive screening, or it can be impact investing. For me, it really ranges across the spectrum. How is ESG integrated differently on the credit side compared to your equity research process? I think for most investment teams, the actual analysis is very similar. So the fundamental analysis that's done as a fixed income analyst really is not, not that much different than that done by an equity analyst. It's really more the valuation of the securities that differ. So too with the integration of ESG factors. However, I would highlight for credit analysts, those factors that are material to the investment thesis may be slightly different than the, than the factors that are important to an equity analyst. Because at the end of the day, what matters to a bondholder can be different than what matters to a shareholder. So one of the biggest issues in ESG is sovereigns. Do you use ESG risk factors in assessing sovereign bond investments or emerging market debts as well? And how? Yes, we definitely think about ESG as integrated across all asset classes. That includes all of the fixed income asset classes, including sovereigns and emerging market debt. But it is a challenge. Just as fixed income credit ESG integration is a little more difficult than equity because of the data provider challenges, we also find that sovereign is even more challenging than credit because of engagement. The ability for a credit analyst to sit down with a management team is much easier than the ability for a sovereign analyst to sit down with the head of a country or the policymakers there. So true. Right. And on the data side, um, we find that for assessing sovereign creditworthiness based on ESG, the data is out there and much driven by governance issues. And those governance factors have always been a part of the work that our sovereign analysts do. On the emerging market side, I think one of the biggest challenges is the quality of the data, the, trans, um, the transparency from the issuers, as well as the fact that the data itself isn't always at the level of the security that we're looking at. So more specifically, an emerging market credit issuer may have a parent company 
And oftentimes that parent company is where the ESG rating is, but the actual issuance may be from one of many different subsidiaries and they may not be rated. In our research at CF Institute, we find that most investors are using ESG integration for risk management purposes. So a two-part question on this, is that also what you find and are there opportunities to be uncovered through fixed income ESG integration? Yes, I think probably the simplest way to start with ESG integration on the fixed income side is to think about risk and risk management and thinking about ESG factors as long-term potential tail risks that can be offset by truly thinking about the ESG issues. But I think it's more advantageous to also add the concept of opportunity. So thinking about ESG factors that can drive out performance in fixed income securities or that can support um, looking and assessing new technologies that will be positive from an ESG perspective and hopefully add gen alpha. We're in a very data-driven industry. Do you think there's enough ESG-related data available for fixed income integration? And I guess an allied question to that, are the standards of disclosure where they need to be? You're right. There is a lot of data in the industry on the ESG side, but the data is dependent upon companies and issuers that will be clear about disclosing that data. So in many ways, we have a lot of data it needs to be cleaned, it needs to be comparable, but there are still many, many companies and issuers that are not disclosing to, to a best practice level. I'd love to talk a little bit about engagement. What is your firm's approach to engagement on ESG issues? And have you had some really productive conversations around ESG? Yes, it's very interesting. As fundamental analysts, we have always incorporated engagement on key material factors as part of our investment processes across all asset classes. So meeting with the issuers has always been an important part of the work we do. ESG factors are a subset of that key material factors that I talked about. And increasingly, we're finding that issuers are asking us about ESG, they're disclosing more, and they're even reaching out to have engagement calls um, on their behalf with our investors. How do you see ESG integration in the bond world evolving in the future? Well, an evolution is the right word. I use the term evolution because that's the industry term for ESG work. We're on a journey or we're on an evolution, but it really feels like a revolution. When we think about the quantity and quality of ESG data and the work that's being done in this space, it's amazing. It's probably one of the biggest growth areas I've seen in my 30-year career. I do think that this is not a fad, it's here to stay, and it's um, being driven by many stakeholders, including asset owners, companies, regulators, and policymakers, as well as the asset managers themselves. So I think we're going to get more standardization in the area of vendors and methodology and frameworks. I also think that there will be continued studies highlighting the tie between ESG factors and investment performance. And I think that there will be an increase in demand for products, both from the institutional asset um, managers and their clients, as well as retail investors. So we'll wrap up a bit on the challenges of ESG. What are some specific challenges in integrating ESG and fixed income investing and engaging with ESG factors in fixed income investing? On the integration side, I think for fixed income investors in particular, it's challenging to assess the data. 
the data is often at the parent company level and the data from the vendors has focused on large cap US and European companies. Many times fixed income investors are assessing subsidiaries of major companies and they can be in a different industry than the parent which is rated by the vendor. So that's a challenge, mapping the ratings to the key issuers within fixed income. A second challenge is the ability for fixed income analysts to meet with management teams. That's really more on the engagement side, but whereas the equity shareholders have proxy voting, they have more of an ability to call senior management at times, the fixed income analysts can also have access to senior management at their issuers, but it tends to be aligned with the time frame of new issues or periods where the issuer has a specific need for capital. So that timing difference can cause challenges as well. Kathleen, it's been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you. It was my pleasure. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider rating and reviewing us on iTunes or wherever you're listening. We'd love to hear your thoughts and it helps others find the show. Also, a quick reminder, this podcast isn't intended to provide expert advice on the topics we covered. If you need tax, accounting, or legal advice, please consult a professional. I'm Lauren Foster. Thanks so much for listening.